0: So this is from John 6, um, verse 60 to 71. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to walk away as well? Simon Peter answered him Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you're the holy one of God Jesus answered them did I not choose you the 12 and yet one of you is a devil he spoke of Judas the son of Simon Iscariot for he one of the 12 was going to betray him
1: good evening good evening everyone I do want to thank Jeff and the session for inviting me along this evening to open up God's Word with you all uh, together. If you do have Bibles, please turn with me to the last few verses there of John chapter 6. That's where we'll be spending most of our time uh, this evening. And I do want to thank the young people and how they've led us in in praise and in prayer so far. It's been great. So we're in John chapter 6. And before we get stuck in the These last few verses, I found an interesting study by a group called Barna, which is an American evangelical Christian think tank. And they found that in in 2011, church dropout rates were at 59% for those who grew up in church but then disengaged with any sort of Christianity. That's 2011. And later in 2019, when they repeated the same study with the same methodology, they found that figure to have risen to 64%. That's more than six out of ten young people had left the church by the time they reached adulthood. And as far as I'm aware, they didn't dig into the reasons why that was the case over in the States. But perhaps we can relate something to it here in the church here in Northern Ireland and across the rest of the West that we see that people seem to be leaving the church. It's no longer as strong as it once used to be. I know, at least from my personal experience growing up in in Lurgan College or whatever it looks like, there's plenty of um, my friends who went to the likes of the Boys' Brigade, went to YF, went to SU Weekends, and now they're nowhere with the Lord. They've jumped off, they've jumped overboard off the the, the ship of faith, so to speak. And what we have here in John chapter 6 is a similar situation. We see the masses come to hear what Jesus says. We see his disciples stick around, and then we see a mass exodus of people when they realize exactly what he is saying what they say in verse 60 they're grumbling that it's a hard saying and in verse 66 tells us that lots of people leave and it's clear from scripture that our hearts naturally in our unconverted state are prone to wander away from the Lord we feel that don't we I'm, I'm convinced that's why that wonderful hymn come thou fount of every blessing is a church favorite That last verse, we often sing it with great gusto, don't we? When we sing about our hearts, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. We know that we're prone to to wander away from the Lord and his goodness. And as we look into these few verses briefly tonight, I really want us to hem in in this attitude that Peter confesses in verse 67. It was the refrain in that song, Lord, where else can we go? There's nowhere else to go. And I trust as we approach the Lord Jesus' word and we see his glory and we witness who he is, that we'll have that feeling in our hearts too that we've nowhere else to go but to run towards him and the rest in him. So just a bit of context to these verses. It comes at the end of the dialogue of I am the bread of life. I'm sure we're all familiar with the I am statements of the Lord Jesus well, in the, the previous verses here, this is where Jesus talks about being the bread of life. What does he say in verse 35? Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. He's the bread of life who offers us eternal life through his costly death. That's basically a summary of the verses before. And I do want to look at the cause of their unbelief, what caused these disciples to be shaken. Will we see in verse sixty? They're saying in their hearts, and saying aloud, "This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it?" This word "hard" doesn't necessarily mean hard to understand, but better hard to to swallow, difficult to accept. The message that your only hope is Jesus—that He was claiming here. He was going that the only way for you to know life is to eat the bread of life, and what is the bread of life? That the bread is my flesh and my blood. Was difficult for these people to swallow. Surely they probably thought that true life was found in in following uh, the law or doing good or in today's language, true life is whatever makes you happy in that moment. And many who hear the gospel message react this way, don't they? When they hear the message that we are ruined, our only hope is Jesus, they don't like it. They're disgruntled. They're saying it's a hard sin. But notice, they don't all leave in verse 60. When do they leave? In verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So what was said between verses 60 and 66 made them leave? Well, verse, verses 63 to 65 sum it up. Jesus is saying, the spirit gives life, the flesh is no help at all. That's verse 63. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. In verse 65, he's saying, this is why I told you that no one can come to me on this It is granted to him by the Father. So what really offended the crowds was the Lord Jesus saying, look, you are absolutely finished. The only way for you to be saved is through the grace of God. The gospel he preaches completely sabotages any thought that we can get salvation through any sort of performance-based merit. The only thing that we bring to Jesus is our need. The only thing that we bring to Jesus is our need, and that's what really is controversial to these people here. It smashes any sort of idol we have of self-dependence. All we offer is the admission that we have nothing to offer. That's when people leave. And sometimes the truth is, is hard to swallow. Often it can be the most painful thing to hear. I'm sure you've maybe heard the illustration of of. The doctor, when, when someone comes in, and it's a really awful doctor if the person's really, really ill, but because it would be an awkward conversation, a doctor goes, you know what, I'm not going to tell them the truth of how serious their illness is. That's an awful doctor. And Jesus, the great surgeon of, of souls, doesn't blemish any truth. He doesn't candy floss it. He tells the people how it is, and he says, you need the grace of God. You need the spirit to give you life. And that presumes without the spirit that we're dead, spiritually speaking, we're spiritually blind. Without the father planning and the son dying and the spirit drawing us to himself, we've no hope. I love how the late Tim Keller, who sadly passed away recently, puts it. He writes, Modern people, for example, may come to the Bible looking for answers to the question, How do I build up my self-esteem and feel better about myself? Yet in the biblical passages on sin and repentance, they will discover that the more basic problem is a too high view of ourselves. We are blind to depths of our own self-centeredness and overconfidence in the wisdom that we have to manage our lives. So in other words, he's saying, we have too high a view of ourselves, morally speaking. That's Tim's diagnosis. And then he goes on to say, then in passages on adoption and justification, they will learn that by asking to feel better about themselves, they are asking for too little. Too little in comparison with what our new identity in Christ can be. So he says we have a high view of ourselves and then he's saying we have too low of a view of God's grace. And I think that is a huge, perfect summary of the human condition. We don't realize how incredible God's spiritual work is in the heart of someone who's been born again. And we have too high view of ourselves, morally speaking. We don't see the depths of our blindness and our sin. So that's the cause of their unbelief, isn't it? That's what rumbles them. That's what sends them off, is that they're spiritually blind. In in our sin, we cannot naturally see the beauty of the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us. We need God, by his grace, showing us that through his spirit. Or as John Calvin says, our hearts are idle factories. We're always looking for other things to put our worth in. And growing in our knowledge of ourselves and of the world around us begins by knowing that we need the Spirit of God to speak to us through His Word. There's another author called Francis Schaeffer and he talked about when he looked over the West if he was on, if he had an hour to speak to a Western man he would spend 55 minutes explaining to them sin and judgment and the consequences of their sin because we naturally, our culture doesn't ever talk about that. Before we move on to to the solution, which I'm sure you see is is God's grace, his spirit causing us to bring us life, I think it's definitely worth going on a slight caveat here. I think it's incredibly important if you look at verse uh, 64. Jesus knows. What does it say? For Jesus knew from the beginning those who who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. In verse 71, he knew it was Judas was going to betray him. He wasn't shocked when people left him. And verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It was his disciples, people who professed to follow the Lord Jesus. Those are the ones that followed him. Not everything that glitters is, is gold. Anywhere there's, there's real money, there's counterfeit money. And Jesus knows the depths of our hearts. And the challenge for all of us is he knows what we're thinking. If we're we're sitting going, I can't wait to finish high school so I can go to university and not ever set foot in a church. Or he knows if we're at church only to to put up uh, a good reputation. Or if we're sitting thinking, you know what, this whole gospel, it's a load of nonsense. He knows. So really, if we're putting on a show, then the show's over. In fact, it never really began. He knows our hearts sees right through us and well it's a warning to those of us who could be faking it but it's a comfort to, to those of us who belong to him isn't it that he knows the depths of our hearts and yet he still set his love upon us and came to rescue us i think that was a very important caveat to, to note so we've seen right the, the cause of the unbelief here was man's natural inability to see god's grace in christ and what's the solution? Well, i give it away there. Verse 63, the words I give you are, the words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Verse 67, Jesus has the words of eternal life. The solution is God's grace revealed to us in the Lord Jesus, found in his word. By his spirit, he brings us new life. There's so many things that we could be talking about here and I think there's a, a really important principle that we, we should think about, especially this is a youth service. How are we going to disciple the next generation? How are we going to structure our youth ministries to ensure that we pass on the faith to the upcoming generation? And one is that you can't separate the work of the Lord from the word of the Lord. You cannot separate the work from the word. You cannot separate the, the, the word from the spirit. God's power is found changing lives through his word by his spirit, we can't separate the both of them. The problem, dead hearts, a solution, life in God's word by his spirit. And young person or friends, any, anyone here tonight, if you want to see God at work in your life, then you must be exposed to his word, letting it wash over you Sunday by Sunday and dwelling on what was preached on or what you read in your little devotional, whatever that looks like, letting the word wash over you. It's funny in, in, well it's not funny, it's just true. In Acts, uh, when the gospel goes forth, often the phrase is used, the word of God increased. So when the word increased, the church was built up. So we gotta have his word as the the, the elevator music in our lives that's going on when we're not thinking about anything else. Hopefully it's his word or a hymn or something that in his word saturate us and change us. And that's a question for us is, is God's word central at, at place or at night or whatever you call the other thing, grid? <laughs> is, is his word central? At, at Worringstown? is expounding God's word central to our, our ministries. What, what we get people in is what we keep them with. I'm convinced of that. So if what we get people in is a warm community of believers centered on, on God's word as we love one another because of the love and grace that we've received from God, that's what will keep them. But ultimately, if, if what God's people in primarily is as a, as a game of ninja and a load of food, as, as good as that is, eventually, if that's all that's keeping them, they will go. If we use worldly methods to attract people, we will get worldly results. We won't get any spiritual fruit. Rather, we must use the one weapon, the one tool that we do have, that God promises to use, and that's lifting up the crucified Lord Jesus and trusting and letting the Spirit knowing the spirit will bring life through this truth and that's our task really isn't it as Christians as we seek to disciple people as we seek to ensure that the church is passed on to the next generation we have to make Jesus look glorious and there's no other plan to that That, that's plan We 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 make Jesus look glorious and how we do that we don't embellish him we don't exaggerate we just lift him up we just explain scripture we just show the Lord Jesus to people we use the means that God has given us trusting that he will do his work when his word is proclaimed and when we see Jesus the spirit will give life I love this quote by uh, J.I. Packer in the, in the foreword of a book called the death of death and the death of Christ by John Owen a mouthful of a title if, if Yes, this is what the quote says. Preaching of the new gospel, when he says new, he just means contemporary. The the 21st century, I suppose, gospel is often described as a task of bringing men to Christ. If only men move while Christ stands still. But the task of preaching the old gospel or the biblical gospel could more properly be described as bringing Christ to men. For those who preach it know that as they do their work of setting Christ before men's eyes, the mighty Savior whom they proclaim is busy doing his work through their words, visiting sinners with salvation, awakening them to faith, drawing them in mercy to himself. I love that. We proclaim man's helplessness. We say, you've no other hope. You need God's mercy. And then we proclaim the Savior. We show them the sufficiency of the Savior. We show how precious he is and we trust that Christ in his power by his spirit will be at work in our hearts as we hear about the Lord Jesus, stir in our affections for him if you're a believer. And if you're not convicting those people of, of their sins, of their need of a savior, and we trust that the spirit will work and show them that that savior is so glorious in Jesus. I don't know about you, but I know all the best sermons that I look back on that have ever impacted me. The reason why they're so great because they show us Jesus so clearly. They expound him. And Jesus, the great Savior, works in our hearts as he's lifted up. So the solution to the problem is life that God supplies by his spirit through his word because in his word we find Jesus. And further to add to this point, you cannot love Jesus but hate his word John 6, verse 67, he's the one who has the words. And verse 63, Jesus says, I have spoken to you these words. We cannot chop and change it to make it more palatable to us as 21st century people. We must acknowledge that there are certain aspects of it that will cut us, that will challenge us, that will um, challenge certain preconceptions that we have. Jesus did not preach certain things because he knew they'd be unpopular. He came to give his life as a ransom to many, not just to win a, a popularity contest. We've got to teach things that might make us uh, squirm a wee bit in our seats. We've got to talk about sin. Why do we have to talk about sin? Because that's how we can get on to grace. And that's how we can get on to Jesus. We've got to talk about all of it. We can't love Jesus and ignore His word. So we've seen that the reason of these people leaving was their blindness, their spiritual death. We see that the solution is the life that only God can give. The life of God's grace in Jesus. And that means for us as Christians, we can't raise ourselves. The solution to your your lust is not more of yourself. You're not going to be able to fix your lying. See your covetous heart. Your greediness. You can't fix that. But He can. And He offers this to us through His Spirit, granting us new life. See your friends on belief. Your family members who don't believe the solution is His grace. And he's far infinitely more ready to heal than we are ever to go to Him. the solution to fighting sin has to be going to him asking him for for life in his word so seeing the cause the solution and now I want us to see the result in a believing heart how does I absolutely love what Peter says here after people go verse 67 Jesus says to the 12 do you want to go as well do you want to go away as well and I love this from Simon Peter He probably looked around and seen the masses leave and what does he say? He goes, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He goes, Jesus, I've seen them leave. I know they're all going, but where else am I to go? You're the only one who has the words to eternal life. He came to the great realization that there is no other alternative. Ronald Reagan, an ex-president of the United States of America, is reported to have said this about his country. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. If freedom goes here, it's gone everywhere, there's no other hope. That's the sentiment, not the message I want you going away with, but that sentiment here, I want you to be leaving with. The feeling that we've nowhere else to go but to Jesus. There's no other hope. There's no other teacher like him. Nobody proclaims the way he does. No one guides the way he does. There's no other savior. Nobody loves us like the Lord Jesus does. Friends, and well, young people in particular, this is the kind of faith that will stick with Christ even if others turn around, even if others fall away. This is the type of faith that st- stakes their life on him who puts their flag and says, I'm not moving from you, Lord Jesus. Ones that have come to the realization that we've no other hope of eternal life. No one else to go to except him. When suddenly you're exposed in in work or university or whatever with whole different worldviews, different questions, people asking you about, why would you believe that? Are you daft? This is a faith that perseveres. One that sees there's no other alternative. Where's the world looking to for their solutions? Where do they go to to ease a, a guilty conscience? A Netflix binge? Yeah. Where do they turn to for, for truth? Is it Instagram Reels or some um, online guru? Where do they turn to for belonging, social media? And where's it gotten us? Nowhere, and what has it given to us? Nothing. Where can we go to for eternal life? There's only one place. There's only one person. Jesus. When we go to him, we find everything else falls into place. We find the truth, we find the beauty, we find the belonging in him. If we know him, we have eternal life. Jesus goes on to tell us, what is eternal life? Eternal life is that we know God and the one whom he sent. So if you know Jesus, you're experiencing eternal life right now. The great prize of the Christian faith is that we get God, that we get Christ, He's the only one that's going to last. When everything else is a a footnote in the pages of history, he will remain. And he's offering us this eternal life, this eternal joy forever. Like I said, this is a faith we need to pass on to the upcoming generation, isn't it? The one that goes, look, I don't care what people think. I don't care if people think I'm an idiot. I am moving all my chips on the the Lord Jesus' side of the table. Why? Because he loved me and he gave himself for me. You can keep whatever you have, but I've got the Alpha and the Omega, the Lion and the Lamb, who knows the depths of my heart and yet pursued me and gave his life for me. I trust that you know something of that if you're a believer tonight, of this attitude of Peter, where we have absolutely nowhere else to go but to him. And I'm nearly done. Um, But the apparent contradiction that at least I found when I was reading um, this, this passage and, and throughout the scriptures, is the more that we realize that we are who we are by God's grace, the more that we realize that we have no other hope but the Spirit imparting life onto our souls, that we need Him to save us, the more we see that, the more we have this attitude of Peter that we're going to cling ever tightly to Christ and not let go. The more we see our, our dependence on the Lord, the more we grasp tightly. And it's a bit like uh, uh, a little toddler in their arms of their father, and there's not much strength in the, the, the little one's arms. But when they're scared, they're tight, holding really, really tightly to their parent. But, of course, it's not their parent. It's not the little toddler's strength that keeps them on their parent's arms. It's, it's, it's their parent's arms that keeps them. It's their strength. We aren't kept because we hold ever tightly to him, but rather we're kept by his grace, his grip on us. That's what Jesus says in the preceding verses, that all who come to him, he'll never cast out. And as the hymn writer puts it, when I fear my faith will fail, he will hold me fast. And the friends I mentioned at the start, the ones who no longer walk with the Lord, sadly, the ones that jumped off the ship of faith, jumped overboard into the sea of confusion, of anxiety, of hopeless rebellion against their Lord and their maker, don't jump overboard. It's going to get rocky. It's going to be difficult. Sure, the very one who made this profession, Peter, he messed up. He, he, he blew it. He bottled it. He denied Christ, didn't he? Remember that? But he was never lost ultimately. He never fully jumped off the ship. He never fully abandoned his master. Why? Because he knew the captain. He knew the captain was the Lord Jesus the Savior who conquers our hearts by his mighty grace, the one who brings light to the darkest depths of our souls and life where we're most dead and the one who will lead us to the glorious golden shore. He is the Holy One of God, the great Redeemer who came to live and die for his people. Brothers and sisters, are the solution to our wayward, wandering hearts is, is him and he's here tonight inviting us to come All we have to do is acknowledge the only thing that we bring is our very need. The only thing that qualifies us is that we're totally unqualified. And he says to us, I will never let you go. And if he were to ask you tonight, if I were to ask you tonight, as the masses leave, apparently, according to this study, and and anecdotally at least, and from my life, if I were to ask you, are you going to go too? Are you going to leave? Will you respond with Peter? Peter? And say Lord Jesus there's nowhere else to go. I have no other hope. No other hope of eternal life. But to go to you. Because you are the Holy One. The saviour of the world. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you sell that in your heart tonight? And I really trust that you can. Let's pray in response. Father we have no other hope, no other refuge, no other savior, except your son, the Lord Jesus. He's the one with the words of eternal life. And Lord, we cling to him. We long to know him more. And we trust in your unwavering grace and steadfast love that you will keep us and you'll bring us to dwell with you forevermore. So please do help us enjoy that wonderful truth this evening and this week and forevermore. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.